Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, Kristen Birchinall talks with Peter Gadd as we begin our new series, Evolving Faith, Personal Stories of Spiritual Transformation. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Okay, well, I am here on Zoom with Peter Gadd and we are kicking off this series and um, I'm so excited to start with you, Peter, about just the two of us having this conversation. I think in the future, the people that I'm gonna be talking to, it's gonna be more of an interview style where I'm gonna be asking the questions and just listening to their answers. But um, with Peter and I, I think it's gonna be a little bit of back and forth and just a conversation. Um, yeah. These are conversations that we have regularly, you know, all of the time about what do you think about this and where are we going with yeah. that? Um, conversations we've been having over the years, but I'm stoked. I'm super excited to be able to have this conversation for the Eastlake community. Yeah. And I hope that it spurs on conversations for them about where have I come from? Where am I going? Mm -hmm. What things matter? What is faith? What is spirituality? Yeah. And um, kind of that history and then the, the kind of trajectory forward is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I have already done an intro. If you haven't listened to it yet, it's quick where I read this book that inspired um, this series and I sent the book to mm -hmm. Peter. I sent it to you a while ago Yep. and Thank I don't you. think I told you why. <laughs> no, I wasn't <laughs> quite connecting the dots at first. <laughs> but you did send it, you did read it to your kids at least, right? Yeah, I did. They like it. They think it's <laughs> hilarious. So thank you for that. At minimum, it's just a good kid's book. So Yeah. <laughs> My kids, when they're mad at each other, they say stuff like, you've gushed your mush. And exactly. JB once was like, chasing Hallie around saying, Hallie, you've gushed your mush. And she was like, no, I haven't gushed my mush. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. But yeah, exactly. Um, but like we've talked about the kind of story being like, for a lot of us, we grew up in a religious setting that was very much, in my opinion, like a neat street. Is that how you grew up? What, what kind of, how does that fit for you? Yeah, it's certainly. Um... It certainly was the way I grew up. So my, the street was the neatest, meaning my <laughs> worldview was so tidy. Um, and it's fascinating even reflecting. So this exercise, I think, is, was really helpful for me just to go back and to, like, remember what my journey been. I, I opened up my Kindle and to go back through <laughs> so many books where I'm like, that book was so important to, like, clicking me one step forward. And that opened my eyes to something new. Um, so the exercise has been great. And our, I think our hope is with the series, too, that, East Lakers will reflect on their journey and we'll look at how they've grown and changed and what's been um, catalytic in that for them. Um, yeah. But when I reflect on my journey, grew up very evangelical, I mean, I became a pastor. So I, <laughs> I, I represented the brand of Neat Street, right? Uh, I, I believed so much in it that I felt like um, 
I should devote everything in my life. Uh, at the time, I would call. What's funny is I called my career everything in my life, but it's not everything in my life. But um, I, I felt like I should devote the majority of my life to helping people understand this worldview and adopting this worldview that I was handed. So I certainly grew up with a very tidy view of reality. I had certainty. Um, I knew what God meant. I knew what God looked like. Um, there wasn't a lot of mystery. There was a lot of clean lines and simple answers um, that worked for me for um, uh, 30 years or so, right? And I grew mm-hmm. up very Christian, and so I had all the stories in Sunday school and had a great um, experience with a, a positive, it was a positive church experience. So that, I think, kept on spurring me towards pursuing um, ministry as a career, but some good pastors, people that are good humans and loving people. Um, so that, I think, made some of the answers more palatable probably or some of the answers more simple because I'm like, well, this person's awesome. Yeah. Of course that answer must be accurate or true. So I think that probably uh, answered, like shoved down my questions longer that the people that I grew up around and that the the pastors that I had in my life were, were good humans. I didn't have like a, had some bad examples. I had good examples for the most part. So anyways, yeah. I obviously went to, went to Northwest and became a pastor and <laughs> a couple of different churches before I wound up at Eastlake. Um, I don't know if that, that is kind of yeah. like speaks to it or that's a little bit too much, yeah. but certainly the street was the, was so neat and it was growing less neat once I arrived at Eastlake, but it was still pretty neat. It was still pretty neat. Like, um, yeah, very simple. Yeah. I grew up similarly, not kind of forced on by my parents, but just the crowd that I found myself in at church and youth group, it was, it was fun, good people. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, when I look back, it's, it wasn't a bad experience. I don't have one of those toxic, I look Mm -hmm. back and this was terrible. Um, And I, you know, part of this process for me has been looking back at me and like, wow, there were some really good things about that. there were some really good things about being a part of that kind of worldview. Um, Like you mentioned certainty, that was really great. It's a great way to like, it's a great way to go into the world of like, I feel like I know what my purpose is. I have the answers to life's questions. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing with my life and my future. I have a mission, a purpose, like all of those things. Mm-hmm. came with the territory and I like flourished in that kind of environment of like certainty and purpose. Yeah. Um, and I also think too, like when I look back, having having those answers and having the boxes that I lived in be very um, clear, I also think, you know, it kind of not protected me, but it kind of, it set me on this path that was good at least in mm-hmm. a lot of ways of in such that like I didn't um, experience some of the hardships that I think I could have had I not been on this like narrow, narrow mm-hmm. road, you know, straight so, and narrow. straight and narrow. And I, I think I, I look back and I'm thankful for that. My husband yeah. sometimes teases me, Andy teases me. He's like, you're so naive still at 40. <laughs> and I'm like, I know I kind of am. Like I just, yeah. um, I appreciated that bubble, I think. Yeah. I think the bubble can be helpful, right? There's things that I think it still functions in a way that's positive for many. I know that there's a lot of things that were positive for me. Um, My upbringing, Christianity, 
did elevate love and it did mm-hmm. elevate being um, forgiveness and it elevated letting go of hurt, um, it elevated all sorts of things that I think are positive. Yeah. Um, I've grown to realize that I, that Christianity hasn't um, cornered the doesn't hasn't cornered the market on those things <laughs> that you can yeah. have those things without um, holding on to Christianity. Um, but it did set those into me as values. They highlighted those as values yeah. for me and and showed me the benefit of those, um, which I think was really critical. I think even sense of morality um, mm-hmm. that there is right and wrong, and that there's good choices, and there's choices that will lead to. Um, thriving in my life and choices that will lead to challenge. Um, that's, I think that's stuff I'm teaching my kids, right? The yeah. choices have consequence. It's important. Um, I think there's sometimes a little bit, there was too much fear for, um, as I reflect, there way too yeah. much fear on, you know, eternal damnation for some of those choices. Um, I think I was, now, that's what I was just thinking <laughs> when you were talking about, like I had those two, but the motivation for them was really off. Like, yeah, I, think I was learning to forgive people because I was scared if I didn't, right. if I didn't follow these sort of things. It was definitely the motivation was fear and not actual like beneficial flourishing. love flourishing in mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, so I don't think, like I said, I don't think it has the corner on it and I don't think it's the purest form of love. I think it's sometimes it feels a little, manipulative when I reflect I'm like that's a weird way to get me to just be kind and loving like threaten me with eternal damnation like you could just say forgiveness is good it's better than resentment Um, but all that said that's been my journey to like let go of some of that my own resentment and look back on what are the things that I did serve uh, yeah serve me well in so um okay so in the book there's the seagull that drops a can of paint and that becomes like the moment where yeah. the guy is like looking at his house and he's like, huh, I'm not sure I really like have looked at it and yeah. seen it this way before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, I'm curious, like what were some moments along the way for you where you were like, huh, like things that stick out of like, oh, I don't think I've looked at it that way before. I don't think I've heard it that way before. Or I've sure. like, what were some of those for you? Yeah, I think I, I see a stark difference for me in my journey from when I, before Eastlake and, and after Eastlake, um, meaning I, being employed at Eastlake. So 2011, I got hired at Eastlake. Um, we were at a really big, we're in Montevilla, right? Big church. <laughs> and But what was unique about that time too is I was just, I just turned 25, so 26. I was just finishing my master's and I like felt like this sense of my brain was like <laughs> functioned differently. Like, so when I heard questions um, in my previous, like life previous to Eastlake, I would just kind of like, re- like say the answers and I, I wouldn't, the questions wouldn't mess with me. They wouldn't like, I didn't have anxiety over the questions. I didn't have, the questions weren't like, ah, oh, that really is like, I need to wrestle with that. I, I just, I had really simple binary answers, right? They, like I knew the answers and I memorized the answers and the answers were fine for me. Isn't that funny? Like, I felt that way at age 18. I know. know, There's a stunting. I think there's a stunting of of development a little bit, I think, for for me as I look back. Like, 25 is pretty late to start questioning, (laughs) I think. Well, no, I'm not saying I was questioning. I'm saying at age 18, I felt like I had all of the answers. And I'm wondering, like, what part of me didn't question, like, huh, I'm (laughs) – there's probably other wisdom in the world. I look back at that and I – I get a little bit embarrassed about my 
arrogance as a teenager. Yeah. No, I agree. I am embarrassed about your arrogance too. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I feel similarly. Thank you. I, yeah, I'm teasing. I feel similarly, right? I think, well, we were, I mean, the, the worldview has the answers, right? So um, to not have those answers is to doubt and to doubt is to risk not, you know, not living up to what's expected. So I don't think that's uncommon. You're such a good rule follower, right? And I was too, right? Like, you know, I was a rule follower. I just wanted to like get approval and be the best <laughs> Christian. I'm an achiever too. So how can I be the best? Well, I'm going to go lead a church. That's how I'm going to be the best ever, you know? So um, I think when we reflect, when I reflect on like what was critical, I think my brain being done growing and like becoming an adult, like it, clicked into like a software update I think of just being able to like realize that th that things are more complex and my simple answers aren't sufficient so I think that was important coming to East Lake was um very important it at a at low level it just started unraveling my theology um and I grew up in a, a denomination who that was different than East Lake so even just that move of I'm not going to be a part of that denomination anymore. I'm going to go to this non-denominational church <laughs> at the time was rebellious. It feels silly now, but um, like admitting it feels really appropriate now. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels like rebellious. Yeah, you... a little more appropriate now than <laughs> then. <laughs> yeah, no, certainly. But I think that um, that decision is an example of like admitting, hey, there's more like you can be Christian and do it differently. Like there's, yeah. there's, and that was the beginning. And then he's like, I mean, obviously open up. Like I started learning through my experience at he's like one that there's like a lot of different forms of Christianity. Um, that like my version of Christianity is just one small version that, and it's like, there's been lots of people throughout human history that have called themselves Christian that hold different beliefs. They hold it differently. They don't think like I think, um, the different you know views in the Bible. All those things started at East Lake. The biggest for me though was inclusion. That's 2015 when when East Lake made their public statement of, of inclusion for individuals in the LGBT plus community. Um, a, a statement of affirmation there, and I think for me that journey of I had to read and I, like like I mentioned going through my Kindle, I had so many books on those topics and so many books related to like what do we do with these seven verses. And that that journey that like I had to go through and reading those verses and knowing where those verses are in the Bible and then looking at what scholars are saying, like it, it was like one of the biggest revelation points. And I remember distinctly um, going through that process, going through these different books and like, like being done with one of the books and being like, OK, <laughs> oh, no, there <laughs> are brilliant humans that speak Greek that know what was actually written on an animal skin 2,000 years ago. And there are people on both sides. There are people who say that it means this and people who say that it means this. And I'm like, I'm just a 28-year-old from Pasco. I don't speak Greek. I'm never planning on speaking Greek. And I'm just supposed to, like, pick which side with certainty. Like, I, I can no longer hold this with a place of certainty. There's people that are much smarter than me that hold differing views. And it was like this awakening of, I don't think at the time I was like, still had a very Christian view, right? There's a God in heaven. God's going to judge me. I no longer hold that. Um, but it was like this awakening to realize I'm not afraid of getting to heaven 
And God's going to say, Peter, how could you possibly have not understood what that word means? I made it crystal clear. I wrote it down in Greek 2000 years ago on an animal skin and you misinterpreted it. Like I, I woke up to the absurdity of that, that, that I would be held accountable for definitely knowing with certainty what that was supposed to mean in context and what it's supposed to be extrapolated to mean now. And I could let go of getting that verse right. And I could just do what seemed to be the most loving, which is where obviously it's like landed. So I think those were like these huge moments of opening your worldview. And the biggest thing that happened through inclusion for me was recognizing, oh no, I have built so much of my life on fear. Like I've lived, like until I lost that fear of I'm going to get judged for how I interpret a Bible verse until I lost it, I couldn't see it. And then I lost it. I'm like, I have lived my whole life just trying to get those verses right so that God would judge me as being obedient. And I don't feel afraid anymore. And I'm like, what other things am I doing that are just (laughs) built on fear? And it was like this huge can of paint (laughs) that dropped on my house. And it allowed me to ask everything. Like it allowed Mm -hmm. me to ask everything. I immediately jumped to the resurrection of Jesus. But because like, if, if we can like interpret those verses one way, I'm like, what the heck is going on with that? And how much do I believe that? But for me, that was, that was the biggest, I would say catalyst event or paint dropping on my perfect binary, neat and tidy house. Um, (laughs) But I'm curious yours too. Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, I think as I've been thinking about it, I feel like I have two buckets of things that have changed for me. One is like experience of God Mm. and um, just what I know about it. Essentially, like, there's the Bible and the religious view of what I've been told, and then there's my experience. And for a Mm -hmm. while, those things matched pretty well. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it started to kind of not match and that created some internal problems for me. And I've spoken about this one before, but um, there's lots of new people at Eastlake. So when my three-year-old nephew passed away from cancer, that yeah. that view of a God who hears you, sees you, protects you, loves you in mm-hmm. all of your circumstances, powerful um, intervening, yeah. um, that completely fell apart in like one instant. And I spent a while trying to like build that back up. Um, it didn't work, but I spent a while trying to like put that back together. And as I've been thinking about it, it's kind of because I, I was holding this view that what I had been told, what was in the Bible was what God was. Hmm. And the Bible was the only way to know. Um, and Hmm. so the Bible is essentially kind of my biggest hurdle in um, this whole process. And for me, some of Mm. those, because of that first kind of like jolt of life of like, this is not how I like how I thought it worked out. Um, Then, you know, coming to East Lake after that and being on staff and now kind of going down this road, of inclusion and all that. I was reading, we read a lot of books and I too kind of thought back to which were the ones that I remember still. And there was this moment um, where I was on vacation sitting by a pool and 
I was reading um, Making Sense of the Bible, I think by Hamilton. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hamilton, yeah. Adam Hamilton. It's great. It was such a good book for where I was at at that time. Um, and there was this little portion about it where he talks about Paul writing, um, uh, I think it is it in, I don't know. I don't know where it is anymore. Second Timothy where it says all scripture is God breathed and useful yeah. for teaching and rebuking right. and righteousness and all of those things. That verse. You nailed it. You just pulled that out of the <laughs> memory <way> file. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he writes in the book. When Paul writes all scripture, what is he referring to? And he goes on to write, certainly not the letter that he was currently writing to a friend or a church and not the ones that had yet to be written. And I remember (laughs) sitting by this pool and being like, oh my gosh. How have I never thought of that? (laughs) How have I never thought of that before? Like these are actual just letters written by humans to other groups of people trying to be helpful. Um, and that really like, like I just kind of acted out. It really like exploded my thought process on how I view the Bible. And then after that, mm-hmm. there's um, a chapter on canonization. Um, mm-hmm. And that process is just like so weird to read about <laughs> like which things are included and why. And um, yeah. so I think, that those kinds of things sent me down this process of letting go of the view I had of the Bible. And yeah. that allowed me to let go of a certain view I had on God, Jesus, people, yeah. eternity, like all of these things um, were able to be looked at more clearly because I was able, and that's, a you know, shortening it up, no, but I was sure. able to let go of this this book being the only true way to understand. Hey Eastlake, Peter here. Thanks so much for tuning in to watch this message. I wanted to do just a quick interruption to say thank you to so many of you who are making regular contributions to Eastlake. Eastlake is a nonprofit and everything that we do is because of a community of consistent and generous people who really believe in this place and want to see it continue. So uh, if you're a part of that community, thank you for how you make this place go. If you are tuning in regularly and are part of this community, but you haven't yet um, jumped in to making a financial contribution, we would encourage you to do that and encourage you to go to eastlakecc.com to help support Eastlake as a community and continue to make these messages possible. Thanks so much for uh, letting me interrupt your message. Let's jump back in. I remember going through that journey of reading Rob Bell's blogs on the Bible. Yeah, I think a, a big thing was to wake up to metaphor in the Bible mm-hmm. and how the like asking questions around like, do we think the original authors meant this literally or metaphorically? Like Jonah and the whale, for instance. Um, <laughs> and like these things that now look back and it feels really funny, but to like, I grew up reading that literally, six day yeah. literal creation. Like, this is how, this is how, the worldview I grew up in. And so just to ask some of those little questions about what's the point, what's the, why was the story written is, an, is a different question than did this literally happen at some point in human history? It, mm-hmm. um, but I think your, your experience was one that is, is really critical to go through um, if you grew up as we did um, as an evangelical Christian. Um, because I think everything is built on this foundation of the Bible has the answers. The Bible has all the answers. Um, and I think that serves us well, right? I was even thinking like, what 
what the what did that do? It, it does help you. It answers the, the tough questions of life. It creates certainty. Mm-hmm. Um, it does help you sleep well at night, um, knowing you're a part of the group that God loves. That feels good for a while, right? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't feel good when you start to extrapolate it out. So a, a big question that I wrestle with through that process is how does this scale? Like, does my current belief scale? Does my current belief work for a peasant a thousand years ago? Does my current belief work for somebody, you know, 6,000 years in the future? Does it work across cultures? Does it work like for me living in Bothell? But what about somebody living mm-hmm. um, in China right now or somewhere else on the planet? And recognizing how much of that um much, much of my beliefs are so time bound and, and current, like current culturally specific was a, a major part of that. Um, but those books you, and how we view the Bible matter. How do you view the Bible now? Uh, I mean, ultimately, I, the, the journey for me made me wake up to the human element of it all. Um, yeah. Right. Humans wrote the Bible. Um, the Bible didn't drop out of the sky. Um, oh, and, Hey, so as you're saying this, I'm remembering one of the other moments was a Ryan Meek saying that he said, like, haphazardly, it wasn't like part of a message or anything. But he said, what if God inspired the Bible the way Britney Spears inspired Cry Me a River? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a huge Justin Timberlake. I love Justin Timberlake. Um, But that was another... Just the reverent way that only Ryan Meeks could ever say it. (laughs) But that too, that thinking about that Mm -hmm. sent me down another path too of like... And honestly, I totally interrupted you, sorry. But, um, But this view of like, that actually helped me hold the Bible still in like a special way. in like a holy kind of reverent way of just the path towards discovering um, God and love and this ultimate purpose for our being is like a holy journey to me. And so recording it and that was like an amazing thing all of these people trying to understand and trying to work out all these Mm -hmm. things that they'd been told um Mm -hmm. so i've actually been able to look at the bible again in that sort of way like with the human element of like this is hard and i'm not quite sure yeah um yeah, it's just helped me look at it differently and appreciate it still rather than completely yeah. toss it out. Yeah, certainly. I, I agree with that. I think I, I don't think I ever went through a phase where I'm like, I hate the Bible and the Bible's the worst. Um, <laughs> like it's I don't know, Ryan's also said like just because like you can love Elvis and just because you think his followers are wacky, you don't have to like hate Elvis for that, right? Yeah. Um, which is true of Christianity, it's true of Jesus, right? There's a lot of Jesus followers that have I want to hang out with or chat with that doesn't mean that jesus <laughs> jesus was a problem um, yeah. so i think similarly to the bible the bible is, is it's incredible it's it's amazing how it stood up um the fact that it's still um purchased and read is remarkable yeah. um and i'll always have a special place in my heart for the bible and gratitude for the structure that it's created in my life um meaning i think my it's it's language though for me and what i mean by that is it will always be my native it's English. I speak English now. It's still the only language I speak. Um, and I'm 36, so it's probably the only language I'm going to speak my whole life. Um, 
but with with the Bible, it is my introduction to spirituality. So it's my first, it's my native tongue to speak about the divine, to speak about mystery, to speak about meaning, meaning, uh, what makes life meaningful. So the Bible is is what I was when people bring up things that um, you know felt like they resonated at a at a true level. Like it's it's the Bible that has come to mind. It's verses that um, jump into my brain. So I'm I'm thankful for that language. Um, I've so I've let go of saying it's the best language. That, <laughs> having that language metaphor feels silly now, right? Um, it makes it makes like the Bible is the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God, doesn't work for me anymore. Uh, I feel like truth is transcultural. It's it transcends time. It transcends mm-hmm. language and books. Um, so if it's true in the Bible, it's true in the Bhagavad Gita. It's true in um, Whoever that famous Richard Dawkins books, um, <laughs> read the famous atheist. Someone it's did true, say true, true. at an East Lake thing. Um, did is it true because Jesus said it, or did Jesus say it because it's true? It's um, <laughs> a great question to ask. And I yeah. like kind of what you were just saying. Like the truth will needs to be the truth every way you look at it. Yeah, certainly. Um, and I obviously haven't held that. That's a, that holding the Bible there, you know, this way now has been a journey over the last mm-hmm. decade of yeah. working at East Lake and working through which parts of my theology aren't, are time bound, which parts of my theology are American, which parts of my yeah. theology are straight white male, what part of my theology is, right, these are these questions that I've had to wrestle with. But so currently holding the Bible as a, it's a human record of people trying to understand the mystery of existence and trying to wrestle with our consciousness and trying to wrestle with the pain of life and the beauty and meaning of life. Um, it's a record of their experiences trying to um, connect to the divine and yeah. lot, some of it holds up and some of it feels super time bound and kind of irrelevant um, now, but some of it holds up and yeah. those things still resonate with me. Yeah, me too. Um, so in the book, the neighbors aren't so happy with how things <laughs> go down. And this, like what we were just talking about, this, these new views and things that we landed on. Um, how did that go for you in terms of like people in your life? Mm-hmm. Did you have people coming to you saying like, hey, you need to clean up, you know, mm-hmm. your, your problems. You need to get this fixed. Or like, what was that kind of experience like for you? Yeah, I think I felt thankful throughout the journey. I haven't felt ostracized for my my thoughts. Um, I've probably been more judgmental of myself than I think other people have been. Um, I think the first relationship that matters the most in terms of how they've responded has been Brittany and my wife. We've been married since 2006, so uh, 14 years. And I was surprised. Uh, hopeful like I remember like we have had fights right and uh, discussions throughout our marriage <laughs> on, like early in marriage I was like ta- she was like I don't want you to be like Pastor Peter around me I want you to be a human and <laughs> like I, I never grew up wanting to marry a pastor so like we can be friends and we should be partners but like don't try to pastor me and like <laughs> I we had I think I asked her like <laughs> I told her she should read her bible more like in like year one or two of our marriage and that went over so well that I, I've never said it again only just to make fun of me for how stupid it was to say um so that comment I think prompted the don't be my pastor um so I've always had this like early in, in our marriage I had like this view of maybe she wasn't as Christian as me and like mm-hmm. I could like help her mature and through my journey which so yeah again just to be clear like these are what 21 year olds say and I want to just formally apologize for all the arrogance that's built into those statements. <laughs> 
the the journey um, through, you know, un- letting go of these beliefs, changing your theology. I, I was chatting with Ryan the other day too. It, it, some people call it an awakening. He's like, that's the most arrogant phrase ever. It's a humiliation. This yeah. this process of letting go of your beliefs because you have to look back on all the stupid comments you've said to people totally. and. Um, so I'm so grateful for Brittany's grace and, and through my journey of like letting go of some of my, my theology or worldview that I think is unhelpful or unloving, I have brought that up with her with maybe some apprehension of maybe she wouldn't be on board or maybe she would feel like my thoughts were uncomfortable or not, not Christian enough or not, um, in alignment with her worldview. And I've kind of been amazed at how, oh, I've been catching up to you. <laughs> I've, I've been catching up to where you've been. You've been more inclusive than me this whole time. I've yeah. been judging that as not Christian enough. And I've recognized that I've been catching up. I needed to grow into uh, more comfort with your level of openness. So I think the first piece that was critical to my journey, had Brittany been in a different place, I'm I'm scared that I were nervous <laughs> to know like how much would I have um, not changed. I wouldn't have as I wouldn't have evolved as much had Brittany not been um, yeah. comfortable with that and on that journey with me. Yeah. Um, I have gone through. I think very. I go back and forth on like how much to share with people because I don't want my changes to hurt others. Um, so yeah. like for family or people that I'm connected to that don't hold my worldview, hold a different view of the Bible, a different view of God, Christianity, um, sharing is something I want to do, but I also find myself still being like kind of approaching belief, like even as I was raised to, right? So I have the truth and I've converted to a new truth. And now anybody (laughs) who doesn't think like me is, is an idiot. So I've had to fight judging people who hold beliefs I held two years ago. Hmm. Um, I think sometimes the more vocal those beliefs are, the more those are around you sometimes, I think, they're triggering, or at least they have been for me. They remind me of beliefs I no longer hold. And so they're even, they're, they're more like, I get more passionate about them. So, um, but the headline is Brittany's helped me evolve. And I think the other piece is even with family or friends who have more, um, a different perspective on God, or maybe a more um, traditional view of Christianity. Um, they, I, I've been met with a lot of love and I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't had too many conversations at least the longer that I've been in my perspective <laughs> that are trying to con- to win me back or trying to convert yeah. me back, um, like un- unravel my evolution, which I've been thankful for. Good. Yeah. When I think about it, I, there were some like uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, we had lots of them with yep. East Lakers, um, which mm-hmm. I consider to be kind of part of the job. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, they weren't, they weren't usually ref, like directed towards me. They were directed like towards East, the people were asking questions about what does East Lake think? What does Ryan think? What is the, you know, mm-hmm. they weren't like, Kristen, I'm worried about you. I did have some of those in like my personal life, but um, most of them were always, you know, from a place I could tell from a place of love. And honestly, if, if I still held the beliefs that I did hold before, Mm-hmm. I would be concerned for me too. And so yeah. I looked at those conversations as these people really do just like care and love mm-hmm. me. And so yeah. um, I have found that I now kind of cater my language about what I think, depending on who I'm talking to. And I can mm-hmm. 
I can, um, I can talk about what I currently think and use language that is more comfortable for people. Um, because I don't think that they're wrong for believing what they believe. And I, so I don't know Mm -hmm. if I think I've said that before. I don't know if it's like a cop out or just trying to make things easier or if it's loving to just try to let people know like I'm okay. And I'm, I can speak the words and the language that makes sense to you. Um, in a way that doesn't dishonor mm-hmm. where I'm currently at. So, yeah, I, I feel lucky that I didn't have, like, people really, like, threaten to disown me or break yeah. off friendships or anything like that. I know some people have when they've gone through these kinds yep. of, you know, changes or transformations, and I'm, I'm really thankful I didn't have that. Yeah, I think it, it we've heard, certainly heard a lot of those at least a handful of examples of people who had to choose, you know, like you're either you have this worldview or you're not in a relationship with me that we've heard those horror stories. Um, yeah. and those are real for, for people. Um, it seems that on the whole, that's less common than it is common. It's like, it yeah. creates tension for people. It can be hard for people, but it's not like we need to break relationship. And I think for the most part in my interactions with people from my, my history or my background, um, the stated belief is one that's different than the operative belief. And what I mean by that is like what we're, what, what the party line is or what we say we're going to do or what we say we believe is like harder to, to live out when you love somebody. It's harder to like, <laughs> it's easier to say that uh, these, this group of people is going to hell. It's different to say my son is. Um, and so I think in that way, like I've actually, in, I've enjoyed being, um, and not originally, like I, I'm still like too much loving. I, I, I still want approval too much, but I do like now that I'm more comfortable with this, you know, new paint on my house and this <laughs> goofy looking house that is maybe not as traditional. I am um, glad to kind of be an example or embody somebody that doesn't like fit into the perfect mold that is mm-hmm. still embodying love and um, is still kind and you know holds a lot of the values that I was raised to have but maybe without as much of the religiousness or tradition because I think it does undermine or it it calls into question like the belief about that other group of people Mm -hmm. because we all have that other group of people that we can throw into that bucket that's easy to judge and we all have people that we love that are close to us that are um, we have more compassion for and so being being somebody um, that is maybe not fitting into the categories, I think it's helpful because I think it lowers the level of judgment, calls into question, like, do you actually believe that? Hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, a lot of times, at least how I grew up, that was really hard to look at. Like, I didn't even look at that. I didn't look at, like, when I say this, you know, God's going to send some people to heaven and some people to hell, I never looked at who, who specifically mm-hmm. is going. Like, name their names. Like, who, what kind of, what's their family like? <laughs> what's their, you know, like, there's no, it doesn't, it's not personal. And the more personal we can make it, I think, It'll help, I think, beliefs be a little bit more loving and people hold a little looser to them. Um, so I think that is a goal. I, I don't want to convert people to every aspect of my worldview, but I do want, I do think there are ideas that are unhelpful and ideas that are helpful for the world. And I think an exclusive worldview that requires you to think like me or God's going to torture you is an unhelpful idea. Um, I'd like to undermine that. I want to love people out of that worldview. Yeah. And so I think um, I'm still passionate about 
that type of change in the world and that type of change happening in people that I'm connected to, that makes sense to try to help um, let go of those exclusive kind of fundamentalist ideas. I just, I, I'm not convinced that like a direct, you know, aggressive conversation is the path at all. <laughs> I've had a handful of those direct aggressive conversations. They never, I don't, I know I don't feel good when I leave those conversations. I always feel like, I think I probably like, encourage you to be more your current <laughs> beliefs. I entrenched you further. I created defensiveness, right? I made you defend yeah. your beliefs. But I do know like I've been changed. My worldview's changed because of love. My worldview's changed because of like having somebody point out that my beliefs should be more personal. Like I need to extrapolate that to like an actual human. Um, and because people who I loved held a different view than me. And I'm like, ah, that's a good idea. And what if it's true, right? And so I'm trying to just live that way and let love erode unhealthy belief more so than my logic and, and argue my, my winsome argument, um, <laughs> argue somebody into a new, a new worldview. Um, so you mentioned like the crazy house. What, <laughs> <laughs> what, so what does it look like for you now? Like, tangibly mm -hmm. like what when you think of faith or spirituality or whatever that part is of you yeah. I and mean, we say everything is spiritual but what yeah. does it look like for you on a daily basis like what has replaced the way you mm -hmm. used to think or view things yeah sorry if you hear my daughter crying it's okay it's, i know it's great this is um, the world now zoom zoom world i know um, I think a couple things. So that the reconstruction process is important. It's really hard to lose your your. For me, it was hard to lose the Bible because it created all sorts of questions. For, uh, existential. It creates an existential crisis. <laughs> so you need something to backfill. Like, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? What brings meaning? Um, I've really felt like for me personally, um, I really I found a lot of solace, or I was helped by Michael Dowd's work. Um, and one of the things he talks about in his book, Thank God for Evolution, is that humans need a couple a couple things, three things. Uh, we need to accept our past, to, to become like even grateful for our past, like to, mm -hmm. to be able to reframe our past, which is definitely something that is like built into human psychology too. My wife's in her master's program for counseling psychology, and so much of that is built on being able to reframe my story and to arrive at a place of gratitude. So gratitude mm -hmm. for my past, all the things that I like look back on with shame, embarrassment and sadness, like I need to become great. I need to learn to reframe those until I'm grateful for them. Hmm. And then I need, in, I need inspiration for today. Meaning I need something that gets me up in the, in the morning, um, like filled with a level of inspiration and joy for the challenges of the day. Cause today brings challenges and in 2020 more so than ever. And then I need hope for the future. So those three things, I need acceptance or gratitude for my past inspiration for today and hope for the future. And hmm. that was really helpful for me from a framework perspective. Wait, that was Michael Dowd? Yeah, that was Michael Dowd, yeah. Okay. And oh yeah, you were you were always a Michael Dowd. I, I did, I loved it. Well, I read the book and I think um, for those of you that, some people resonate, some people don't um, with some of his work. But for me, I, I started wrestling with all the questions of science and all the questions of like, how did we get here? And like, I had to embrace an evolutionary worldview, right? If God didn't create us in six days, 6,000 years ago, I never really believed that. But if that didn't happen, like I needed to like really dive into the science of how do we arrive here? How do we arrive at consciousness? And like, what makes a life meaningful? And so those things were really helpful for me because I had a lot of my history that I needed to come to a place of gratitude for because mm -hmm. I had some shame and some like embarrassment. And 
I stood on a stage and told people things. I got coffee with people and told them that they shouldn't be doing things. And I'm like, I shouldn't have said that. That was like, I disagree with that. So like I had to deal with some of my shame. Um, And then I I think that the the second part, right, without a a Christian worldview um, or a biblical worldview, like what is the hope for the future, right? If, If Jesus isn't coming back to save everything and make it all right, what is my new my new hope for the future. So I've had to, I've had to think through that. The simplest um, kind of place that I've arrived at is that a meaning I've been, I've really attached to this idea of like what makes life meaningful um, and asking those questions and thinking through that. And it, it boils down to love. So to give love and to receive love is what makes life meaningful. Um, throughout every culture, throughout every religion, throughout every, like non-religion, religion, um, every worldview, like giving and receiving love is what makes life meaningful. So um, that for me is what is my inspiration or my hope for the future. And like, what are my, like, what am I living for? I'm living to um, fill the world with love. Um, I do that in my marriage. I do that in my, um, my parenting. Um, I have to look at the parts of me that are unloving and the parts of me that are blocks to receiving love, right? We have ego that gets in the way of receiving love. We have ego that gets in the way of giving love, um, defensiveness, shame, all these pieces. Um, like the inner work becomes like the point of doing that inner work is so that I can give and receive love. Um, that there's no blocks there in either way, no blocks to me to give love and no blocks for me to receive love. Um, and so I, I've found that to be like what's replaced um, like that's the paint that's on my house now. It's um, acceptance of my past. I've found inspiration and hope for the future and really focusing on how can I give and receive love more efficiently, more effectively uh, with, with fewer blocks there. So what, what about you? <laughs> I'm curious. Well, one, do you think that's, is that good enough? <laughs> what are yeah. your thoughts on that house? Yeah, for me, I think I have to, I just keep looking at my house like, huh, do I like that? Does that work? Um, and I think for me, I've had to just kind of, I approach um, spirituality with what seems to work, what seems to point me to love, what seems to calm my spirit, what seems to give me peace, what seems to give me motivation to move forward mm-hmm. and all those things. And I do think love um, is the factor in all of that. Um, I also have just tried to focus on my experience of I'm just going to use the word God. I mean, my experience yeah. of God being detached from the religious mm-hmm. setting that I always had that in. And so um, experiencing the divine, the ultimate reality in mm-hmm. the everyday. So I feel like I've become much more aware of how beautiful things are. I'm I'm yeah. way more aware of just like our planet and nature and like how mm-hmm. things, I think about how things come into being. I think about the miracle of children. Like that's what my world yeah. is right now, literally right. just kids. And I, I'm just so much more struck by how like beautifully amazing it is that you can just like have this being with you that yeah. is dependent on you. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, like you mentioned earlier, embracing mystery um, Mm. is kind of where I'm at right now of just like, Mm -hmm. I am learning to just feel like comfortable and at home 
mm-hmm. with the ideas of that I don't know everything and that some things I won't understand and yeah. all of that is a real like deliberate process for me of having to and like that's what I consider to be sort of my spirituality right now is just mm-hmm. still letting go and finding myself comfortable with what is what is yeah. this reality that I'm in and um mystery didn't have any sort of place in my life before this yeah. kind of all happened and embracing that now has yeah. become a practice of mine um yeah. has become a challenge of mine like a daily like willingness to let go of control to yeah. live in love and all of those things so yeah yeah it's beautiful mm-hmm. it's not a like you know it's not a concrete um kind of building blocks and structures and things that I would like. But I think yeah. the way that that book ended, you know, that my house is me and I am in, it looks like all of my dreams. Um, that mm-hmm. was like a favorite part of, of that book from my family. And um, I look at my life and the way that I'm living and I'm like, I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm happy with, like it, my life looks the way I want it to look. And yeah. certainly it looks, you know, messy and struggling and yeah. hard and all those things. I don't really like, I would like choose that. But yeah. um, the way that I view the world, the way that I view the, my relationships and the people in it and how like special and treasured those are and the way that I'm allotting my effort in the day, um, yeah. I'm... I, it feels good to me. It feels like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's just like digging down deeper to find ways to love yeah. Um, yeah. is how I spend my day. Yeah. I feel a great sense of peace in my worldview now. Um, and I think it's a, it's that, it's a peace that is, it's, it's a, maybe it's gratitude, but the whole waking up to how much fear I had. Um, so I, I think I had like a pretend um, peace that passes understanding before, uh, <laughs> right? I had this this view of I'm in the good camp, God loves me, um, and that made me feel a sense of peace. But then when I like I had to wrestle with these questions of who does God not love? You know, who yeah. who does that not work for? And I mean, I'm, I'm, I hope I've made this clear in this conversation. Like <laughs> this idea of like who does this like this worldview not apply to? It's just been was. That's, that's that development of empathy, right? This recognition. Yeah. And, and for some reason, I was just never able to like connect the dots on that till after, you know, till I turned 30 or 20, 26, whatever, <laughs> is like this awareness of my perspective is not reality, it's my perspective. And so I think there was peace before, but then it, it I woke up to this like perspective or understanding that that is peace at the expense of someone else. Right. I'm the only one that gets peace in that scenario. I'm the only one that can sleep well at night. They should not sleep well at night. Um, and so to come to a place now where I have a worldview that, um, or, or a house that um, can be loving and I don't need to win everybody to my worldview, I can just love and I can try to make the world more beautiful and give and receive love. Like it's a peace that, um, has less control over other people or is it like attempting to control people less 
um, but love more freely and love more um, like fully. And, and that's a different type of piece. It's a piece that is uh, something I never thought possible. It's just a way more, it's a freedom, I guess, is a, even a better word. It's a, a way less pressure to change the world and just to focus on, I need to grow and I need to become the best version of myself so that I can, um, you know, inject love into the universe, play my part to maybe it's transport the love that's already here, you know, be a conduit of love in the universe. And that's a, no, a whole nother level of peace um, and freedom that I never thought was possible. So I couldn't, I cannot go back. I, I don't know what it looks like to go back. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm also interested to see like how, how does the faith evolve, right? Cause mm-hmm. what does it look like to hold this worldview for a decade and, and yeah. to have, you know, a little a software updates along the way, right? I update my phone at night, I update my apps before I go to bed. When I see a little one, I'm the kind of guy that does that software <laughs> updates early. I'm not the guy that does them late. And it's a, it's a metaphor for me, but it's also like a little trigger. It's like, what else needs to update, right? My worldview mm-hmm. needs to update. A lot, a lot has changed in, <laughs> recently, right? I, mm-hmm. I didn't hear the word empathy a decade ago. It didn't come up. It's it's all over in terms of like just helping people wake up to the need for it. Um, if you think about what's happening in just the recent history, right? The last decade, we didn't have an iPhone. Nobody had an iPhone a decade ago. So the world's changed a lot. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't social media. Some of that's been bad. Some of it is good. Um, <laughs> But I think in, in 10 years, it'll be interesting to see how much the world keeps changing. And I think I want to be open to changing more. I think that's yeah. one of my big takeaways from this this evolution is this isn't a, yeah, I've converted to a new correct worldview. Correct. It's mm-hmm. I've learned how to change. And hopefully <laughs> it'll be less painful and there'll be less ego associated with the next change. Because I know there was some pain and some ego associated with the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I love that. I I appreciate that point of view of like, I'm thankful to be in a place where I hopefully won't have so much of who I am like tip over again, but that um, I've gotten to a place where I am holding things openly and that Mm -hmm. will hopefully serve me better moving Mm -hmm. forward, Mm -hmm. Um, holding what I currently think openly. Um, So I'm hopeful that this way of being in the world will serve me in the future too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much more to say. I have so many more thoughts now, but we do need to wrap it up. <laughs> okay. We'll wrap. This is a great conversation. We'll thanks for asking me and letting me share. Yeah. Thanks for looking back and um, being a part of my journey too. I'm thankful for you and I'm excited to have more conversations with people on yeah. what has this process been like and what does it look like now? So thanks That's for your great. time, Peter. And hopefully we'll be talking more about this stuff as we go into the future of things that are helpful for East Lakers to hear. I don't think, mm-hmm. I think this is something that um, we'll continue to do. Talk about Good. So. Good. All right. Thanks guys for listening and we will see you next time. This is Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.